You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Renee Volney Darko, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Firecracker. And this is Wanderer. From Millennial Revolution, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Up next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc, we have four guests here today, and we're going to be exploring the idea of using your skill and knowledge. And the question that we're going to pose, is there a connection between financial independence and social mission? And so we're going to pull on that thread as we go through this conversation to figure out what we mean by social mission and have each of our guests share what their missions are. So let's go around and do a quick introduction and we'll dig into the conversation. Oh, Mrs. Wow, do you mind giving us a quick introduction, please? I'm Mrs. Wow. I blog with my husband over at wafflesonwednesday.com. We are in our 30s and we live in Southern California. And basically, we just write about our journey to financial independence. Well, thank you for returning to the What's Up Next podcast. We have the first repeat guest panelist in Mrs. Wow. All right, Renee, do you mind giving us a quick introduction, please? Hi, my name is Renee Volney Darko. And I'm an OBGYN married to a trauma surgeon. Our blog, which is called Keeping Up with the Darkos, where we talk about our journey to debt freedom and living an independent lifestyle. And we also have a couple of side gigs that we'll get into potentially. So that's what we do. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Bryce and Christy, can you please give us a quick introduction, please? Hi, I'm Christy. This is my husband, Bryce. We blog at millennial-revolution.com. Our aliases are Firecracker and Wanderer. And we talk about our journey of um, retiring in our 30s to travel the world after we became financially independent. And on the blog, we talk about investing. We talk about travel. We talk about the financial independence mindset. And we want to bring as many people with us as possible. All right. So I'm going to start the conversation with Renee. I've been thinking a lot about financial independence lately. And I've been thinking about those of us who spend a lot of our time considering personal finance. Isn't there something selfish about it? Are we a little bit self-absorbed? I would actually say no. Thinking about financial independence gives us a little bit of headspace so that we're able to give to others. You know, the stress, the anxiety that can sometimes come with financial burdens, all of the responsibilities, the financial responsibilities that we feel on a day-to-day basis, I think can really get to us and can really impact how we interact with others and how well we do in our own professions. So I think it's really important for us to think about just kind of this personal finance or this debt freedom or this financial freedom as a way for us to be able to give to others without necessarily feeling the burden of having to take a specific job because, you know, we have to pay for our lifestyles. 
Christy, I'd like to pull on this thread a little bit. You've been really open about talking about the first 10 years of your work life. And it sounds like it was a stressful, busy time. Did you have time to think about anything besides your own needs during those 10 years? Could you think about the world and everyone else's well-being? That's a great question. So the way I like to think about it is, and we fly around a lot, so that's why this is the first analogy that comes to mind, is when they put on the safety demonstration video, they say, you know, put on your safety mask before you put on your child's or before helping other people with their oxygen mask. And then that makes me think of when I was working, my oxygen mask was not on. I was not able to think about any type of volunteering or giving back because every day was just kind of trying to stay above water, trying to save money and trying to actually work and trying not to get fired because my work was actually not that stable. So I think when people say, oh yeah, does financial independence mean you're selfish or are we all lazy because we all retired and we're no longer part of the system? For me personally, that being financially independent has actually allowed me to see the bigger picture outside of ourselves. It has given us the opportunity and the time to actually reach out to other communities. So one of the communities that we volunteer for is called We Need Diverse Books. We were able to connect with them because we started writing on the side, writing our novel. And we met a group of other authors who banded together to start this nonprofit to advocate for diversity in children's literature. And because we had technical backgrounds, we were able to help them with you know, a lot of the website maintenance, help them build an app, help them get the word out. Things that we never would have had time for back when we were working because you're really just trying to put your oxygen mask back on. And that's the only thing you can think about. So in my opinion, I think that once you become financially independent, you can actually think about things beyond just earning money and beyond saving. And to respond to the people that kind of say financial independence is a selfish thing, I would argue that not being financially dependent and living paycheck to paycheck forces you to be far more selfish than you could have been if you didn't have that pressure on. So as an example from our personal kind of careers, when we were first starting out in uh, university in 2001 and then we graduated in 2006, outsourcing at the time was a major force that was happening in the IT industry. You know, people were discovering, oh, the internet's fast enough, so let's move all the jobs to India and all this kind of stuff. So Silicon Valley, right around the moment we were graduating, was getting hammered and there were massive layoffs. And it got pretty nasty and it got pretty xenophobic And because people were scared about their jobs. They couldn't see what it was like for the other people that were taking these jobs because they were like, they're taking something away from me, so I'm, gonna, I'm scared. And because I'm scared, I don't like these guys, right? And then near the end of it, when we were approaching financial dependence, there was another, again, kind of burst of outsourcing that's happening at your workplace. And you were one of the few people that were able to kind of say, hey, you know, they're people too. Like they work insanely hard. They deserve to be treated like human beings. And everybody else got really weirded out because they were like, what? They went yeah. to you and you were like, like why, you're, are you, why are you, are you taking, collaborating with the enemy? You why are you taking their side? They're trying to take our jobs. Don't even help them at all. Don't even talk to them. Right. And I had the unique position of seeing that those people also needed jobs as well. And somebody actually came into work and they had missed the birth of their own child. Like that's how hard they were being pushed to work. So nobody was really winning on either side of the equation. Like people that I was working with were afraid to lose their jobs. People that their jobs were being outsourced to were, you know, not even seeing their families, destroying their health. The only person that's really winning is the company. <laughs> right. So there's no enemy, like, People being insecure economically, it allows people to drive a wedge between them and say, it's us versus them. It's the enemy. It's, they're coming to take your shit. When you have enough, you don't think about stuff like that anymore. You kind of go, well, I got mine. How do I help this person get theirs as well? Completely different mindset. I would argue that selfishly spending everything you have and staying in that job for 30 years, that's selfish. Mrs. Wow, I'd like you to add to that conversation. A lot of us talk about financial independence giving us the space to start thinking more globally, to being more responsible to what's going on around us. Yet, I think you're still in the midst of your financial independence path, yet you found time to do mission work outside of the country. How have you fit that into your busy schedule? It's not easy, but I think because I make the effort to do it, I find the time. I absolutely love giving back. And I think because of my line of work, I'm an occupational therapist. And just in my day-to-day -day job, I'm helping people and I'm giving back to communities. And I also have this love for travel. And I realized at some point that I could combine my love for travel with my job and give back while I travel. And I did one trip in Ecuador a couple years ago and I got bitten by the bug and I absolutely loved it. And it added so much value to my travels and also to me personally, to me 
professionally. And since then, I've just continued to wherever I travel, I try to give back in some way, shape or form, whether it's my time, energy, anything like that. And because it's important, I make the time to do it. And I feel like even though I'm still kind of in the trenches of the journey of going towards financial independence, it's one of those things that I've always tried to make myself really pay attention to setting my life up where I want it now, regardless if I'm at the end of the journey or not. So then when I reach financial independence and I can potentially retire early, I'm already there. I'm already living the life that I want to be living. Renee, as Mrs. Wow is saying, talking about setting up the life she wants to before she gets financially independent, I kind of laugh to myself because one of your posts on Keeping Up With The Darkos was called Greetings From Ghana, Why We Want To Be Debt Free. And I love that post. And part of the reason I loved it is because dealing with debt is a deeply personal issue and it's very time consuming. And I could imagine that most people when they're in as much debt as you guys were, didn't feel like they had time to go do medical mission work. But there you were in Ghana doing medical mission work as well as addressing your own debt issues. I would ask the same question to you. How do you manage both? I think that Mrs. Wow really touched on something that is very, very important, very essential. And that is living your life the way that you envision it to be when you become debt-free or financially independent. And that's essentially what we were doing as two physicians. We were in debt, $662,000 worth of student loan debt alone. And so for us, even paying down half of that allowed us a little bit of leeway. It really just goes to show you that even if you are not completely debt-free or completely financially independent, that making strides towards that can actually make a huge difference financially, as well as with your psyche and your headspace. Where do you see yourself in several years once you've paid off this debt or once you've become financially independent? And you can actually start making moves to be able to help others go globally. For us, it's going to Ghana. We've been involved with this organization for well over five years and plan on really helping to vamp up our efforts in Ghana. But the only reason that we were able to even have the ability to do that is because we reduced our debt over time and that actually freed up our lives and our finances so that we were able to do that. This year, we actually spent three weeks in Ghana. Usually we spend two weeks. It really is something that's very near and dear to our hearts. And like I said, I agree with Mrs. Wow that you have to start living your life the way that you want to see it so that later on, once you are debt-free, that you can go full throttle with it. Bryce, when we talk about our post-financial independence life, we talk about giving back. We talk about living a life of passion where we're doing something good for the world. When you're doing these volunteer work you guys do, do you feel like you're building your own talent stack also? Yeah, absolutely. The volunteering work that we did, you know, it used the skills that we picked up during our career, which was coding, but it was also going into a new field as well. So from that, we ended up learning about more about the book publishing industry and learning about like, you know, how to get ideas out there, how to publish books out there. And that was one of the things that allowed us to build the blog we did now. We learned how to communicate because we were surrounded by all these writers. These volunteering gigs, you know, it is giving back, but you also get something out of it because anything you do that's worthwhile, you learn from it. That's just how things will happen. Christy, even though people make money on their blogs, at least in the personal finance space, most of us would consider pretty much that we're doing it for free because the amount of money we make compared to the time we put in is minuscule. Do you feel that writing the blog is part of your social mission? I certainly see you doing a lot of counseling, especially in the case studies. I think the blog evolved over time. Initially, I did not expect it to be a resource and I did not expect to connect with so many people. Initially, it just came about because I wanted to show that, you know, buying a house wasn't the only way towards like a happy life because so many of my friends were just dejected from other people telling them that they had to live the normal path of home ownership and all that. Because when you actually put your heart into something, you're doing something because of passion and not because of money. People feel that there's a certain authenticity to that that comes out. And then not only do you end up using the skills that you gain from working on that passion project when you're not doing it for money, you make true friendships that are based on like the same mission. Like you're all going towards the same mission. You're 
you're trying to spread financial literacy, you're trying to help people understand their finances so they become free. So that itself, I think, helped the blog get to where it is now because it's very different from what we used to do, what I used to do, which is just doing something for money. I could tell that at the end of the day, I was just doing it because I had to survive. I wasn't really doing it because it was a passion. So I think when you actually put your heart towards something, when you actually are doing something because you want to actually help, uh, somehow you end up making money because you end up being genuinely helpful to people rather than you know trying to like pull the wool over their eyes or trying to sell them something that they don't need. And uh, going back to the, that social mission question, one of the major parts of as you touched on is uh, we you know people write into us, they tell us all of their finances and they tell us what their situation is, and then we analyze it and we do this thing called mathing shit up, where we then go through and we figure out okay, this is where you're at now. If you make this and this change, maybe you should do this, and then you'll be a lot happier. And uh, one of the most rewarding things that ended up happening with that was people would come back weeks or months or sometimes years later and saying like, wow, I did all that. Like I sold that condo that you said that didn't make any sense. I put all that money into here. I've never been happy before. I've never been more stress-free before. And I think it feels like my life is under control for the first time ever. When that happened, I was like, wow, like the power of this kind of knowledge is that it has the ability to change people's lives. And I like to tell people, if you understand money, life is incredibly easy. But if you never understand money, life is incredibly hard. And one of the social missions that I think sprang out of the blog is that to teach people how their own money works. Because if I can do that, I can make people happier. I can make people less afraid. And in general, if I can do that for like a wide enough audience, maybe, you know, the social mission of the blog is, and this may sound kind of corny, decreasing the anxiety and the fear level of the world because they understand how their own lives are supposed to work now. They're not just running scared and terrified of the next layoff and terrified of immigrants or terrified of like whatever the boogeyman du jour that the media is trying to spark them off with. Like that stuff doesn't work anymore if you're no longer afraid. That's kind of like social mission that we've kind of taken on the mantle of as we've done our blog. Mrs. Wow, you know, I think that our blogs, and hopefully I include mine with everybody else's, do have a social mission. I think we hope to inform, to decrease anxiety, as Bryce is talking about. But it does make you wonder, you know, what happens when all of a sudden people start calling and asking you to consult and, hey, you know, I'll pay you for an hour here or two to tell me how to manage something better. Or when advertisers come to you and want to put ads on your blog, does it go against the idea of mission to also have some margin to make a little money at what you're doing? Does that kill the purpose? I think it really just kind of boils down to what your mission is and what your purpose is at that moment and staying true to that regardless what comes your way. It's one of those things like learning to say no to make sure that you can say yes to everything that you want to be able to say yes to. Part of me says there are costs involved. And so you do have to pay attention to the costs that you are putting into whatever it is that you are doing, whether it's the writing, whether it's the travel, that type of stuff. And so I can't just blindly say, well, money doesn't play a role because it does. Like everything does cost money. But I think as long as you can go home at night and be able to sleep and say, I did, I came and I accomplished what I want to do. I think that's all that matters. If you want to run it like a business and have the income and have the profits and all of that, and that's what you want to do, great. If you don't want to do the advertising or you don't want to accept money for the time that you're doing, then that's perfect for you as well. So I guess it's kind of a combination of both, but just being true to what it is that you want. Renee, I'd like to ask a similar question, maybe the same question, but maybe in a little different order. You mentioned passion a few minutes ago, and does your passion, does it have to be profitable or can you pursue a passion that isn't profitable? So I think the answer to both of those is actually yes. I mean, you can have a passion project that is profitable and you can have a passion project that isn't profitable. I mentioned earlier that my husband and I, we have several side gigs, but we also do mission work in Ghana. Now, our mission work in Ghana is not profitable. We actually work with a nonprofit organization called the International Healthcare Volunteers, and that is completely voluntary. Whereas we have other passion projects, for me, it is helping non-traditional pre-meds get into medical school. And that's something that I'm extremely passionate about. But that is something that I have turned into a business. And my husband has the Docs Outside the Box podcast where he's interviewing ordinary doctors doing the extraordinary things and trying to motivate other doctors to also do extraordinary things. And that is a profitable passion project for him as well. And we, we have one other business venture, which is is a locums company that we do. And obviously that's a profitable venture as well. But 
it is a passion project as well because we want to assure that doctors have the flexibility of work or if they are in need of a break that we're able to provide physicians for them um, for maternity leave, for vacation, for mental health days, and to be able to help other physicians out if they need breaks. So I think the answer is yes on all accounts. It just really all depends on your approach, the resources that you need in order to maintain that passion. And then I think it's okay to be profitable because at the end of the day, if your passion is truly in helping people, then as long as you are doing that, then that is really what matters. As long as that's your focus, I think that that's what matters. Yeah, I want to jump in here too because I completely agree with that. I kind of have my two passions and one is actually my day job basically and I'm extremely passionate about it, but that passion is profitable. And then I have my mission work that I do and that is not profitable, but by being able to make money in my day job, it affords the opportunity that I can go and travel and give back and volunteer. So they're both passions and one makes money and one is basically giving time and energy and training to other individuals. So I think, yeah, it can definitely be both. So I'm going to change topics a touch and I'm going to move over to Christy. You know, a lot of us feel better or make ourselves feel better by donating. So we know that a certain time of year we give money, that's giving back to our community, that's helping people in need. But does it feel different to give time instead of just donating money? I think it just depends on your personality. And some people think that giving money, that's enough, like that money could be used to do good. Some people feel like personally they have something to give, like their skills would benefit more than money. So I think both are valid. One is not better than the other. It just simply depends on your personality and what your mission is. As an example, we have donated to Red Cross before. We have given gifts to family before, as well as donating our time to WNDB. And I feel like one is not more beneficial than the other. It just really depends on your personality. Yeah, Bryce, I give you the same question. Does one feel better than the other to you or does it all feel good? I actually enjoy giving time more than money because with the money thing, you give the money and like that's the end of your transaction. But when you give time, there's a lot of other benefits that happen on both sides of the equation. Like when you work with somebody towards a certain goal or something like that, you build a relationship, you hopefully have fun doing it. Both of you learn something new, you build skills. So I like giving more in terms of time and skills and energy more because there's more benefits like all around rather than just a unidirectional, here's some cash and then like that's it. So Mrs. Wow, you've talked about this before. When you give your time, sometimes things don't always go exactly as expected. Missionary work, especially medical missionary work in another country, isn't all just flowers and sunshine. Talk about some of the more difficult parts. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I learned was really feeling utilized for my skill set. And I've been on some medical missions that they were perfect. They knew what I could do. They handpicked me for the specific job that I needed and everything was beautiful. And I've been on other ones where they weren't really prepared for my skill set and didn't really take the time to learn how they could utilize me. And it's not that I wasn't able to contribute because I was, I did whatever I I possibly could since I was already over there, but I wasn't able to give back in the way that I had hoped for or I had expected to be able to do. And so that part is and was really, really difficult for me. I think I learned a lot from that opportunity just to realize that I can do anything and help out. So I, I think all in all, it was a beneficial thing to happen. And it also taught me that I need to kind of promote what I do and help the organizers like before we go on the trip to realize what my skills skill set is or like what my job set could be there. The other big thing that I want to point out is also what you're walking into. You're walking into other countries, other cultures, other families that are going through things that you may have never even thought about, never considered. And some of the cultural and historical things that have happened within those countries have been extremely difficult. One of them that comes to mind is when I volunteered in Cambodia and I learned some of the historical stuff that had recently happened. And that was extremely hard to go about and do my job while we're there trying to help and then be hearing all these horrific stories of what these people had lived through. And also just learning that stuff and dealing with it while you're there can also be extremely emotionally taxing. 
All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Renee, I saw you shaking your head a few times during Mrs. Wow's commentary. Expectations versus reality. When you go to another country on a medical mission, did you find that they would often meet or did they often depart? There's a saying that we have when we go to Ghana, that's the plan until the plan changes. So the short answer is no, they don't always meet. And I just love Mrs. Wow's response that even though her specific skill set wasn't necessarily in need during some of her experiences, that didn't invalidate her ability to help. And so she was able to contribute in different ways. And that happens. I mean, even as an OBGYN, right? I'm a physician. You would think that, okay, every time I go, I have patients and that's just the way that it is. That's not necessarily true either. Sometimes we find that we go there and they're not necessarily prepared for what we are prepared to do. Sometimes we go and we realize that there's certain types of equipment that we would have benefited from bringing. And now we have a case that okay, now we have to do a little bit of improvisation to be able to care for this patient to do this particular procedure. You know, so sometimes I'll find that I'll scrub into my husband's cases. I'm not a general surgeon, but if he needs an extra hand, then I will scrub in with him and vice versa. He's not an OBGYN and trust me, he really doesn't want to scrub in on C-sections, but <laughs> you know, if he has to help deliver a baby, he's there. So the expectation, I will say this, that the reality is more important than your expectation. 
when you are going to a medical mission, your duty is to help in whatever way they need. And so if that means that as a physician, that I'm going to be the person who's running sutures back and forth to the operating room, then I humble myself and I do that. And so that's the plan until the plan changes. And this podcast, I've mentioned it a few times that I do hospice work. And there's this idea that you have to meet people where they are instead of trying to bring them to where you are. And what you said very concisely brings that point, I think, to a head that sometimes you have to be what they need you to be at the moment and not what you're expecting to be. Bryce and Christy, I think about the financial independence community Do we have good role models for social mission, either pre and post-fi? Are we modeling good behavior for our community? From what I've seen from the bloggers that I've met and the friends that I've talked to, I've actually met more people from the financial independence community who are willing to give back, who are thinking even beyond you know, just earning money and like the bigger picture than I have from the um, bubble of people that I knew when I was working. And I think part of that is you know, because we travel around and we meet different types of people, because we've expanded the circle outside, you know, the tech world that we were in. I feel like within this community, I've felt a lot of giving, a lot of love, a lot of thinking about others, and a lot of going beyond the basic necessities and how to reach out. So I think for me personally, it has really expanded my horizons and really opened up my eyes to what we should be thinking about after reaching financial independence versus the kind of go, go, go work mentality that I was surrounded by back when we were still working. For every single person who isn't in the post-fi and all those kind of stuff, they do naturally want to give back. But the problem, I think, is that not necessarily all of them write about it and write about it consistently. Some people are more open about the kind of charity projects or like you guys, the missionary work that you do or or that kind of stuff. We write about the charity work that we do as well, but not everyone does and not everyone does it consistently. Some people really like talking about the money stuff and then that's really interesting to them. They do that stuff on the side. Like I meet them and I realize that they are thinking about, you know, the planet, thinking about how to like stop global warming and all this kind of stuff, but they don't, and they do work on that, but they don't necessarily write about that. And then you have someone like on way on the other side that, for example, is uh, Vicky Robin, who has been FI longer than all of us have been alive, right? So she is like way beyond to the point where the money stuff like 401k ladders, that stuff is so beyond what she is interested in. And her kind of thinking is like several decades later of like she is fully on like the activism side and giving back and all the kind of the help saving the planet and stopping global warming and all this kind of stuff. It really depends on where each person is on their financial journey and how much that they actually like to talk about that. Because again, a lot of people are spreadsheet nerds. They can wax poetic about their Excel formulas and not talk about any other stuff. But generally, everybody, especially after the first year becoming FI, start to think about that and a lot of them actually go and start to actually do the giving back stuff because it's just a natural part of the journey. But once you stop thinking about yourself 100% of the time, you naturally start thinking about other people. I think it's the word is enough here. Like once you reach enough, then any extra doesn't benefit you in any way, right? So then beyond your enough, then that's when people start thinking about what do I do with the extra? And then that's where the giving back and thinking beyond yourself comes in. Mrs. Wow, does that resonate with you? Is social mission part of our why of I? Yes, at least for me, it definitely is. To be honest with you guys, since I've joined this community, and I'm actually like working on a post about this as we speak, that the financial independence community has made me a better person from challenging myself, pushing myself outside my comfort zone, doing things that I never thought I would ever do or could ever do. And I'm surrounded by all of these people that are doing amazing things, whether or not they blog about it or you meet them and they tell you about it. And it constantly just pushes me to be better and do more. And I have found it to be so inspirational. I really resonate with that because I have the same relationship with the financial independence community, relatively new to it. And I feel like I'm a better person as a result of the quality of the people that I've met are so much better than the prior bubble of people that I met. And it's not to say that they weren't good people, but there is something special amongst people who are drawn to this conversation of financial independence. And it's really kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it is there. But the one thing I'm concerned about sometimes is I don't ever want our community that I'm 
my which one voice of to come across as uh, preachy or better than and i think that's a common concern that people have when they hear about the financial animus community is that they feel like they're being judged and i can imagine somebody who might be listening to this is not doing medical tourism and might feel like they're not really contributing as much as some of you guys are what are your thoughts on that you touch on one of the things that actually keeps people from talking too much about like a lot of them want to talk about it, but if they start talking about all of this cool stuff and all the giving back and all of that stuff exclusively, and they talk about it too much, then it doesn't seem accessible because guess what? The vast majority of the audience is not thinking about how do I make myself a better person and what should I do after I retire? The vast majority of audience is saying, how do I get my money out of my 401k, right? We all have to write to a certain extent what our audience wants to hear about. And as much as people want to talk about, I think, like the post-FI social mission kind of stuff, it does get preachy and it does become inaccessible to people who are just worried about what the heck do I do with my credit card debt? Which one do I pay off first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Medical tourism or rather medical mission work. Fine. But what do I do about this credit card debt? Like, I don't care about the rest of that stuff. They're scared. So that's kind of why I think most of the stuff that's written in the financial independence space is about finances as it should be. The rest of it, it's good that it's there, but it's not a primary focus of the fire bloggers. Again, nor should it be, right? I particularly love the fact that, you know, we're having this conversation because, you know, the financial independence, the FI or the FIRE, whichever you ascribe to, I think is a new conversation, actually. I think this is a brand new conversation that we're having and that over other years' time, I think what Bryce alluded to the conversation is about money, right? How do you acquire more money? How do you spend less money? How do you acquire more possessions by allowing yourself to have more money? And so I think the old conversation was about wealth and that was it. Now the new conversation is about, okay, well, I don't necessarily need to be wealthy, but what I do need to do is live a life that makes me comfortable and that allows me to help other people. And so that's a different conversation than we've had in the past. I'm just loving this conversation. I'm loving this movement of financial independence. I'm really glad that this kind of came up too, because I faced a lot of negativity in speaking about what I'm doing and telling people about what I'm doing. And I'll be completely honest with you guys. Initially, it took me by surprise. I was like, here I am doing all this great work. Why are people saying that this is bad? Why is there all this negative energy coming from what I think is good? I mean, there are lots of different reasons that people are negative about it. It's, well, why are you going into another country? They don't need you. You're taking jobs from the locals. You're just putting on a Band-Aid. There's so much work that needs to be done in your own backyard. Why aren't you focusing here? Why are you going somewhere else? And I've really taken some time to sit down and think about this. And for me, it's not about preaching to other people that you should be doing this. This is what I'm passionate about. I'm going to plant the seed. If there are people that are out there that are interested, it can be done. But the main thing is like make your own path. If you want to do something along the lines of what I'm doing or what any of us are doing here today, that's great. If you just want to hear what we have to say and let it wash over you and then move on and go do something else, that's perfectly fine as well. So it's just really planting the seed and then saying, if you want to do it, this is an option, but there's lots of other things that you can be doing to give back. And if you don't have time now, maybe in a year, in five years, in 10 years, maybe you'll come back and be like, oh yeah, now I can give back. So I'm interested just to jump over to Bryce and Christy. Whenever I hear people talk about haters, I unfortunately think about you guys because (laughs) I know that you got your number of people who like to heckle some of your content. Does the talk of volunteerism allay the haters at all, or do they even get more boisterous? You can't allay the haters. No, they're haters for a reason. Haters are, by definition, I guess, people who just hate on everything you do because it's different from what they're doing, right? I've realized over time that there are lots of commenters that come on Reddit, like the internet. There's several groups that people fall into when they react to controversial articles. One is like, you know, they agree. Second is sometimes they just academically disagree, but they're willing to have a civil discussion about it. The third is people are just genuinely curious and don't want to answer questions. And then there's four people who just say that you're wrong no matter what you say. And those people cannot be convinced about anything, about anything except the current position that they're in, right? I could talk about how great our life is and Chandler and all this kind of stuff, but it would in the face. For somebody who's back in North America who's obsessed with housing, 
they're just going to say, well, yeah, so what? You don't even have a house. And it doesn't really matter what they say. The only thing that you can do is live your life the way that you want by your own values and be happy. And then just, if it pisses them off, I am totally okay with that. (laughs) Well, one of the things we learned through writing and blogging, and this is something we learned even before we started the blog, just from writing children's fiction. So if you're going to be doing anything that, you know, you're going to risk being out there and then doing something that you love and sharing your passion, you're going to have one third of people that love you, one third of people that are, you know, don't really care. And then the remaining people are just going to hate you. And there's nothing you can do about it, really. It has nothing to do with you. It really has to do with them. So what we realized over time is authenticity is the most important thing. Like if you believe that this is your mission and you believe that you want to help as many people as possible, then screw what the haters think, screw what other people think, screw the negativity, and you just do what you need to do. And that is one of the biggest advantages of being FI is that you can do that. Like if some big financial company came and said, okay, here, I want to sell you this product. You sell it to your audience. You can make a shit ton of money. I will just tell them to go F off because I don't care. That's the whole point of FI. Like my mission is to help people get out of debt, help people understand their finances. And I will never, ever sell out on that. And I don't care what anyone says. And I don't care what, how much money a financial institution offers me. So I think at the end of the day, the haters don't matter. I think sometimes they even can be used to drive you. So if you really just see it as a you know, use the haters to actually drive you, then it really doesn't matter at all. I will say one of the prerequisites of being in the financial independence community is kind of a thick skin and the ability mm-hmm. to kind of not care what other people think because we're by definition a rebellious group. We're by definition, we go against the grain and what everyone else is doing, we, we will question it. And if you're one of those people that gets really upset when people disagree with you, like I don't see that working out that well. So uh, Renee, I mean, like, do the haters like bother you when people say, oh, you're being selfish, oh, you're being like, does that really get to you? Or is it something that you're like, you just kind of go, you know what, I'm doing what I think is right and F off. I really don't care. It's funny because my husband and I, we had put out a video at one point in time about just kind of our budgeting habits and things like that. And we mentioned Dave Ramsey. Because we, you know, were following him at one point in time and just kind of looking at, okay, what are the principles that he's teaching people? And so we mentioned him in the video and the hater happened to say, well, you know, Dave Ramsey, he went bankrupt so many times and I can't believe that you guys are even talking about him and blah, 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 blah. And so that was his comment to our video. And I said, well, you know, sometimes you have to learn from people's mistakes, And the fact that he went bankrupt and he was able to overcome that, I mean, that's a mistake that other people can learn from. And maybe that's not for you, but for us, you know, we think that people can have second chances, regardless of what you think about Dave Ramsey. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of his, but I think that what he's teaching people on a practical everyday basis, I think does help some people. And my response to him that because we started budgeting, that we were able now to give a scholarship to an endowed scholarship actually to my husband's high school, as well as contribute to an organization that is near and dear to our hearts. And about three days later, his comment was removed. He deleted his own comment because he realized he was hating. And, you know, you may not necessarily agree with everything that someone is doing, but you can always learn from someone else's experiences and then take that and apply it to your life however you want. I think the key word there is learn. And that's exactly what I was going to say. In response to your question, Bryce, initially, when I first started hearing the negativity, I was kind of shocked. And I didn't react to it. I just kind of took it in and reflected on it. And then I realized that I can learn from what these people are telling me. It doesn't mean what they're saying is true or valid or that I agree with it, but that I can learn from what they're trying to challenge me with and then also be able to kind of apply that as I'm talking to people to make it sound like I'm not preaching or I'm doing all these amazing things and that you can't do it and all that type of stuff. And it kind of goes back to that comment, like you don't know what you know until you do. And so I didn't realize the work that I was doing could be portrayed negatively to some people until I started to get some of that backlash. And so I think I've just learned to grow from some of that negativity and from some of the haters to say, I hear what you're saying. You have a right to say what you're saying, but this is my response. This is how I choose to conduct myself. And it's also just made me stronger and more kind of confident in my role as what I'm doing in the volunteer work. 
That's great. Think of it this way. The presence of the haters is a sign that you are bothering people and it's a sign that you're growing fame because statistically, the bigger audience that you're going to get, the more haters you're going to get. But the thing is, naturally, you only remember the haters, right? Mm -hmm. So the more those people are coming, that means the better you're doing as a blogger. So we've been exploring this idea of mission. And so when you're putting your message out there, we typically have probably an individual mission and you guys each have your channels for which you're doing so. But I'm curious as a movement, as the financial independent movement, are we even really a movement? And what is the role of the financial independence community who which we are trying to make a movement when it comes to social mission? Is it our place to try and have an agenda? Are we organized enough to have an agenda? Because we tend to be like herding cats because we're so individualistic. But yet I feel like there is a potential for us to organize in such a way that we bring forth some sort of social advantage. Anybody have any thoughts on that? What is our role? I think my opinion is that we're kind of under the general umbrella of, you know, financial literacy and spreading financial literacy and helping people with their finances. And then under that umbrella, like you said, there's different subgroups of people that have Mm -hmm. interests in different areas. Like people want to give back, but they may not be giving back in the exact same ways. Some people, their mission is to help the environment. Some people's mission might be medical mission across seas. And then some other people might be to help children's literacy and maybe have some curriculums in schools to help the next generation. So I think everybody has a different mission, but we're all under the umbrella of financial freedom and financial literacy. So in that way, I I do see it as a a movement because we all have this, we're kind of all aligned on that. But when you actually dig down to it, everybody has their own different passions and different ways of giving back, which I think is totally valid. It makes no sense for everybody to kind of be shoehorned into like one type of giving back and that's the only type of giving back. Like how boring would that be? Like everybody has to donate this exact percentage of their wealth and like towards this cause, right? Then that kind of defeats the entire purpose of financial freedom, which is the freedom part to be able to give back how you think that kind of fits with your mission. Yeah, we've had long detailed discussions about should we have a social agenda? Should we have a manifesto that people who become FI, something that they believe in should work towards social change? And I think that's tough because everyone believes in different things. Like I keep talking about, as I learn more and interact more with the financial independence community, I realize that politically, we're like all over the spectrum. There is a portion of us that are extreme libertarian. I don't like F you, I got mine. Like once I get my money, I'm going to buy a farm and never speak to another human being ever, ever again. And then there's the other side, which is extreme left, which I would put like Vicky and those people under who are, you know, trying to save the world and sustainability and all this kind of stuff. And the only thing that this group of people agrees on that is that financial independence is a good thing, right? But going anything above that, they could like big arguments about like the direction of healthcare in the United States, for example. These are both people who are interested in financial independence, but politically, they could not be more disparate. So if you try to put the message beyond that, you should become financial independence because people will forget the first part and then latch onto the second part. And then the entire message then becomes partisan and and bickering and all this kind of stuff. So I like to think of it as like everybody wants to change the world in their own way and perhaps naively optimistic view that the vast majority of people are good people that want to do the right thing and financial independence enables them to be their true self and to help in the way that they see as the most appropriate and the most fit and the most that's matched for them. I want to help them do that however that may be. And whatever the message is after that, I don't care. I just want you to be the truest version of you that you can be, not have to worry about money. That's as far as I'm willing to go and say, this is what the financial independence movement should believe in. Yeah, I totally agree, Bryce. Like, It doesn't really matter what it looks like after a certain level. Bottom line, it's that we as the financial independence community, we think about things differently and we reflect on things differently, and we have different considerations. And whether it looks the same or different for everybody or all the members of our community, we just have that ability to just kind of shake things up and not be afraid to go against the grain and just think about things just a little bit differently. Yeah. Think about the world in a way that doesn't involve money. And that's where the really interesting stuff comes in. Because again, I believe people are innately good people, I want to help the world. And money is, for most people, a source of fear. And once you have fear, you can't think about the world in a wider way like that. Fantastic. I'd like to round this conversation out and go back to the original question, which was, is there a connection between financial independence and social mission? And I'll have each of you have a chance to give your final thoughts on that. And Renee, I'll start first with you. The answer is absolutely yes. 
I think that social mission, financial independence are all tied because if it weren't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I think that Bryce and Mrs. Wow hit the nail on the head with their last few comments in that financial independence really allows people to change the world in their own way. And that's not going to look the same for everyone. For myself and my husband, that looks like helping in women's health in Ghana. That looks like helping physicians be flexible in their work schedules. That looks like helping pre-meds to get into medical school. It looks like helping and motivating doctors to do extraordinary things. So for us, that's what financial independence looks like. And it will allow us to be able to do those things for as long as we are passionate about them. And so I'm very excited to be a part of this financial independence community. And I really look forward to what the next 10 years is going to look like for this, because this is still relatively a new movement, but I think there's a revolution coming and I'm really excited to see what it's going to look like in a few years. Bryce and Christy, is there a revolution coming? Oh, yes. That's why we named the site Millennial Revolution. The way I see financial independence is that it alleviates fear. And when you alleviate fear, then you have the ability to think beyond yourself. And you don't have to worry about, oh, if I help other people, does that mean they're going to take something from me? Or does that mean there's not going to be enough of the pie left for me? So it allows us to expand the pie so that everybody has enough. Like you can actually go out and help everyone and not worry about, oh, but if somebody else is getting some of it, what about me? Especially coming from my background, because I grew up in China and then eventually immigrated to Canada. So my perspective growing up was that when you don't have money, the biggest thing that clouds your mind is fear. And when you're in that fear state, it's really hard to be thinking about social mission because the only thing you're thinking about is, you know, you're not trusting other people. You think that they're going to come take something away from you. Um, and then being a part of this community has really opened up my eyes to see people from different backgrounds, to see what it's like to actually collaborate with people rather than be fearful. So for me, having discovered the financial independence movement has allowed me to be more open to social work and to giving back and thinking the bigger picture because I've been able to alleviate fear. And I think that as a movement, that is how we're going to be able to change the world. Because if we help each individual person alleviate their fear, then you can actually get something done as a collective because people can actually be free to collaborate rather than compete against each other. So yeah, absolutely. That social mission is linked to financial independence. I would argue that financial independence and the education on how to get there is a social mission in and of itself for me because it delivers on the most American of all traits, freedom, right? It allows people to be free and anything after that is up to you. So I don't try to press any agenda on people after that. I trust that they will come to that agenda on their own. I also agree. The big thing for me when I think about the FIRE movement is basically the word opportunity comes to mind. It provides me the opportunity to think about things. And I know before I said think about things differently, but actually like I want to take differently out just to think about things, to think about life, to think about what I'm up to, to think about what others are up to and just allow that time to sit and reflect and think. And really the big thing that it, it's kind of done for me is allowing me to not have to do that traditional path of what everyone thinks you're expected to do or what everyone else is doing. And to really just kind of become grounded in what fulfills me as a person and what my purpose and what my mission is in life. And then learning from those around us and being inspired by the other members of the community or other people that we come in contact with. I mean, there's no specifics there. That could mean one thing to one person and something completely different to another person, but it's opportunity, it's time to think and learn and be inspired. Fantastic. So I'm going to give each of you a chance to promote yourself and check in with you on what is up next for you. So let's start with Bryce and Christy. Where can we find you on the internet and what's up next? Okay, so you can find us at our blog, uh, www.millennial, that's two L's, dash revolution.com. And you can tune in. We write twice a week and we're also all over the world. If you want to see us somewhere in the world, we're happy to meet up. Bryce? Yep, just that. And uh, we have a book, Quit Like a Millionaire, which talks about all this crazy financial dependence stuff coming out with Penguin Publishing uh, midway through this year. So June, July. July 9th. July 9th is, uh, is when it uh, 
2019 when it drops. So July 9th is the day, and right now you are where? We are in Portugal. Fantastic. All right, Renee, we'll give you a chance to let us know where we can find you and what's brewing in your life. What's up next? So you can find me as well as my husband on keepingupwiththedarkos.wordpress.com. And that's where we, again, talk about our financial independence of search or attainment. You can find me personally at Dr. Renee Darko. That's D-R-R-E-N-E-E. D-A-R-K-O.com. And that's where I basically have what I call pre-med strategies. And that's my passion project that is helping non-traditional pre-meds transform into medical school's next top choice applicant. So what's up next for me? I actually have a children's book coming out. Um, hopefully in the spring, right before Easter. So if you have some Easter baskets that you want to give to your kids and uh, you're looking for something to stuff them with, stay tuned. Just go to drreneedarko.com before uh, Easter and you'll find the book there. That's exciting. Stay tuned for that book coming out very soon. And your husband was on the podcast. His name is Nee. So if you feel listening, make that connection. That's the other half yeah. of the Darko team. Wonderful. Mrs. Wow, last question to you. What's up next for you and where can we find you? All right. Well, you can find myself and my husband over at wafflesonwednesday.com. We also hang out a lot on Twitter. So if you want to see what we're up to there, definitely check us out. And we have a lot of travel plans coming up this year. The first of which is we're going to India. Yeah, we're actually going to a wedding. So really excited. First time in India for both of us. So that will be really cool. And then we have lots of other travel lined up for the rest of the year. And then the other kind of fun thing that I am up to, Mr. Wow is not doing this, but I am part of a step challenge with a lot of other bloggers within our community. And we are doing this for the entire year and we are aiming to get 70,000 steps per week. So that's been a lot of fun and just continuing to hang out with members in the community and challenge ourselves to be better. So Paul, I was really excited about this episode. I really can boil down a lot of my thoughts to one thing Christy said. She said, you know, we have this anxiety about our finances. And money gives us anxiety. And the thing about financial independence is once you get the money figured out, it frees up the emotional energy to start looking outside yourself. And so it almost doesn't matter whether for you it's volunteering or for you it's starting a donor advised fund or for you it's going on a medical mission. It's more about what makes your heart sing, but having your finances in order gives you the energy and the ability to look outside yourself and search for true meaning and purpose because only a small percentage of us probably think that personal finances are meaning and purpose. For some of us, it might be, you know, writing a blog about it, doing a podcast about it, that might be truly what they were meant to do. But for everyone else, it's some form of connection with our fellow man. And I think all of our guests today have found that. And I think being in control of their finances has given them more strength and fortitude when it comes to doing these things. Yeah. One of the things I think Bryce said it was that when you understand money, life becomes so much easier. Then you have this headspace. The word was used several times and I like that because when you have time to sit and think and ponder the world and your place in it versus just always in this rat race of having to survive, then you kind of go up to this other echelon level of life and then you realize your place in it and that you will get the most reward from anything that you do when you're living a life of contribution, when you're serving somebody else. But what I really want people to take from this is that you don't have to do the lofty things that some of our guests were doing. I value medical mission work, but I'm never going to be a medical missionary. That's not within my wheelhouse. However, there are things that I can do that might actually be profitable, that might be part of my business. And my mission has become to help other people find this connection in their life that once you understand the money, then life becomes easier. And that's part of my service. And it is at a profitable endeavor, but I have discovered and come to the understanding that that's okay. And I will certainly potentially do other things that are not profitable at another time in my life when I'm in another, another season of life. And I'm not at a place where I can go and travel 
to these exotic places with my children just because the way our family dynamic works. We can barely go to the mall together. They're still fairly young and they don't travel well. But that stage of life will change and potentially it will for you as well. I think there's a lot of inspiration to be taken from this, but take it for what it's worth to you and take a little nugget of this and say, yes, maybe I'm in the stage right now where I'm filling my cup. And then once my cup is full, then I can share. That is an okay approach to take. Yeah, I definitely think it is. And I think conversely, you can also start on a social mission before being financially independent. It may not be on as grand of a scale and that's okay. But with this whole idea of start building the meaning and purpose into your life, even before you reach financial independence, and that becomes a really nice landing place after you eventually do retire of activities and purpose to fill your life afterwards. And then the other part of it is it is okay for there both to be mission and margin. I believe it's okay for you to do mission type work, for you to educate, for you to help people, for you to help the underserved and yet still have some profit involved with it. I don't think they have to be exclusive. I think you always have to make sure you have the right intentions, but I don't think you have to feel bad if some of your social mission eventually leads to some income streams. That'll just allow you to do bigger, better things in the future. And I think that's okay too. Yeah, you got to fund it somehow, but you have to be profitable in order to be charitable. And it doesn't have to come from the same place. A lot of charities get their funding from somebody else who is profitable and they have margin in their lives so that they can fund the charities. Yeah, the other way of saying that is you have to have margin to have mission. And I like that. I've never heard it put it that way before. So I have a question for you on this larger role of the community. The guest chimed in on that question, but that's something I'm toying with. And it was one of the questions that actually helped spur my idea for this podcast. I was listening to a panel discussion and they were talking about, does the fire community have a place in trying to set the stage for healthcare in the U.S.? And there was a difference of opinion amongst the panelists at FinCon. It was kind of an ad hoc discussion that came up as a result of other conversations that were going on. And I'm very curious about that because I don't feel like I have a clear answer on this yet either is, should we be organizing more and trying to push for something else besides just teaching people about money? Or is that where our community role ends and then the individuals pick up with their own agendas? I think this idea of bringing about social change through our movement is a difficult one because I think the financial independence movement is just gaining steam on yeah. its own. I think our message might be empowering the individual to then find and meet their social mission in a way that's pleasing to them. So we're going to give them the power and the knowledge to free them from the anxiety, relieve them of the bonds, and then go forth and change the world. And that's what's up next. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Bryce and Christy, aka Firecracker and Wanderer from Millennial Revolution, Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday, and Renee Darko from Keeping Up with the Darkos. We wanted to not only thank you for being on this podcast, but for changing the world for the better. If you would like to participate uncut, raw conversations that Doc and I are going to be having, we are going to be going live and we're inviting you to join us so that you can be a part of the conversation and get a peek behind the podcasting curtain. Also, you'll get to actually see Doc G's face in living color. He's creating a special window to let you, the podcast listener, get to see the visage behind the moniker that is Doc G. To get announcements on when we're going live, join the Facebook group, What's Up Next? So right now, go to Facebook, join the Facebook group, and you will get announcements on how to tune in when we go live. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Fantastic. Awesome. Hey. Fantastic. How'd that sound? That was fun. That was, yeah. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. So I've got a question for you, Christy. Uh, you immigrated into the U.S., uh, Oh, does, does your, I'm sorry, to Canada. Canada does yeah. does your uh, family use the dishwasher as a dishwasher or as a drying rack? <laughs> no, they don't even have. They've never had a dishwasher no. ever. No. <laughs> but if they did, they would definitely use it as a dish rack. I'm pretty it's sure. a dish rack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got to tough it out, right? That's the immigrant way. That is so true. Like my husband and I, we still wash our dishes even though we have a dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs>
have you guys read um, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by um, Ramit Sethi? Yeah, so that chapter, the thing that stuck with me was none of the financial stuff, but the fact that he said, this is how immigrants eat chicken wings. Like, we do not leave any meat behind. Like, we are licking the bone right to, like, the cartilage and everything. And I'm like, this is exactly true. If you look at my parents' chicken wings, Accurate. there will be nothing left. Right? So then when I see my, when I see my friends eating chicken wings, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, there's half the chicken left over. You got shit up. Why what are you doing? Not broken. <laughs> I know. Why is your bone up there? There's so narrow. Teeth. I know, totally. <laughs> right, there's so much left in there. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.